Welcome to this uh, special power panel that Downtown in Business have put together, uh, looking initially at the Chancellor's summer statement, uh, which he announced yesterday, uh, and then moving on, perhaps more importantly, to what we would like to see uh, during his uh, statement and announcement in his budget in the autumn. Uh, I'm joined by an array of talented business leaders from across the country. Delighted to see them all today. And I'm going to first of all ask Emma Degg, who's the Chief Executive of the Northwest Business Leadership Team, what her take on yesterday's statement was. Emma, good to see you. Good to see you as well. Good to see everybody. Um, looking more groomed than me, I'd have to observe, but there we go. Um, so in terms of yesterday, uh, you can't snip at 30 billion to start off with. Uh, we've all been calling for something to be done uh, in terms of youth employment in particular. Uh, we all know that it's young people who are most likely to be scarred in the long term by loss of opportunity, employment or training now. So those are good things. Um, the devil, however, in terms of training and skills is going to be in the detail it always is and particularly how it's going to be implemented if we've learned anything through the course of covid it's government can have the best possible intentions but there's stuff that you just can't implement effectively nationally you know whether it's test or trade and trace uh, pp procurement and so on so want to see how that's going to be delivered needs to be delivered in place i'd suggest through combined authorities local government, growth companies and so on, who actually know their local labour markets, have got the business relationships to actually get that stuff sorted effectively. Truth is, a business is really going to take on a young person for a grant? Probably not. Um, mm. But are they going to do so if they've got those uh, appropriate relationships tied up? I'm not jumping ahead to the autumn, but so much is also going to depend on what the settlement is for further education. Because again, the colleges are going to be absolutely crucial for all of that. And then just another observation really um, around stamp duty, which is whatever you think about it, it is another example of something that will undoubtedly benefit the better off and the south of England more than the rest. And we do need to get back to that horny old issue of how do you make sure that all Treasury policy considers the particular requirements of place at the same time. Thank you, Emma. Uh, and I'll move uh, down to Birmingham, if I may, and speak to, to Kevin Johnson uh, from Urban Comms. Kevin, uh, nice to see you as always. I just wondered uh, if you'd uh, got any sort of reaction from Brummy businesses, what you thought of Rishi Sunak's statements yesterday. Well, I think the first thing to say is that uh, he has had an impressive war, hasn't he? Rishi Sunak, he's come from almost nowhere to being... Uh, the only government star of this uh, crisis and he did well yesterday but I, I would concur with all of uh, Emma's comments not least about the, the devil in the detail. The thing that strikes me most uh, and I would say this in this company, the thing that strikes me most both about Rishi yesterday and about Prime Minister's so-called new bill last week is the lack of mention, the lack of reference to, the lack of respect indeed to local government and indeed the new uh, combined authorities and, and elected mayors. Uh, there was no mention whatsoever in the Prime Minister's speech last week of the words local government or of devolution. Uh, in the speech from Michael Gove the other week, there was one paragraph on devolution. This is not a government that is yet believing in devolution, it's believing possibly in a bit of delegation. But for exactly the reasons Emma pointed to about uh, PPE about testing, about the uh, use of public health officials in local government and so on. Uh, it, this has been a, a terrible example of how this government sees devolution in its truest sense and how it sees local government. To do the, the things that Rishi Sunak outlined yesterday, as I know you've said, Frank, uh, he has to use local government, he has to use combined authorities and other institutions, LEPs, etc., much, much more effectively. He has to treat them as partners. Uh, and moving forward to the, the autumn when we come to that conversation, Frank, I want to see much more advances towards real devolution to make some of the advances, both picking up COVID and going back to the agenda, if Boris and Rishi are to be a, at all true to a levelling up agenda. Okay. Thanks, Kevin. And uh, Colin Sinclair, let's get uh, a view from Liverpool, uh, Chief Executive <coughs> of the Knowledge Quarter, which is... Uh, 
one of the most, if not the uh, biggest sort of uh, gem in Liverpool's crown at the moment. Uh, some big investments announced recently despite the COVID crisis. And Colin, you'd have been listening carefully yesterday to his words. What did you make of them? I'll pick up on what Emma, really on both comments I've just heard and what Emma said. I think it's a lot of money and we're going to have to pay it back somehow one day, but it's absolutely vital. And the delivery for all of this has to be done locally. You know, whether we're working through city regions or our major cities and hopefully they're always those two in partnership, that's critical to the whole process. But you mentioned the, the Knowledge Quarters in Innovation District. We've just launched our 2025 vision, which follows up from the city's economic recovery plan. And we put a lot of really practical stuff in there that we can deliver locally. And that's the kind of thing I'd like to see. You know, it's great to have the headlines, isn't it, around meal deals and that sort of thing. And I'm sure anything for the hospitality sector helps right now. But I want to see investment in proper construction, creating apprenticeships, investing in what we were really good at going into the crisis. If you look at Liverpool, Manchester and Cheshire, together we're world leaders in science and technology. So invest in that, get behind building out Paddington Village, Copper's Hill, further schemes in Manchester and in Cheshire. That will create boots on the ground employment now and apprenticeship. So I want to see more government support for creating proper long-term jobs. And importantly, and they've recognised it, real help for culture, major events, tourism, hospitality. Because we're world leading in that as a region. And we've got to protect that because one day <laughs> we'll come out of this surreal place and we will need to have protected the very best parts of our economy. And then very lastly, I think there's still a lot of people that are hurting who are freelancers and self-employed who missed out on furlough. And that's, um, I think we've got to think of those people as well because we can't abandon some of our most creative change-making people just because they weren't on a payroll that went through before the end of March. I think we've got to have another look at that. Thanks, Colin. Um, and then I'm going to ask Jessica, uh, who is uh, we're really privileged to have her with us this morning because yesterday she was on the, the big screen with the BBC. And uh, so this is a bit of a downfall for you. Not much, though, Jess. Um, so great to see you, and it's good to see you on TV yesterday as well, uh, <laughs> on site, one of the Bruntwood sites. Um, what did you make of his statement yesterday, Jess? Um, yeah, th thank you, Frank. And actually today, this is, this is the highlight of my week, I have to say. <laughs> Much more so than being on a construction site at 20 past six in the morning with a hard hat and high vis. But um, for anyone who saw it, I did have a lovely green digger next to me as well. Um, well um, so... I mean, I, it's it's a it's a start, and you know he needs to um, do something to try and taper the furlough scheme. I heard him on the Today program this morning making a very strong case for why a thousand pounds that they'd looked at, you know, the range of distributions of incomes, and that a thousand pounds seemed to be an incentive that would work um, for substantial numbers of people on furlough. I think that's yet to be seen. Um, you know, I think he also, there was something about the tone and particularly the tone of the media broadcast that he's done this morning, which is um, not saying that this is a job that's done and dusted. It's, it's the next step on the journey and there's more to be done, particularly in the autumn statement, for which I'd agree with Colin that, you know, we need to put some proper heft behind investment in the things that we're really world class at, R&D, no, very little mention of that at all through this period. Um, construction, we've got shovel-ready schemes that, uh, you know, the 900 million that was announced last week was a drop in the ocean of what could be done if they really wanted us to put our um, shoulder to the wheel. So I think there's more to be done in, in the autumn. Um, I think there's also something that's a, a non-fiscal measure, I suppose, which is how do we restart the city centres? And at the moment, the advice is work at home if you can. Um, and actually, we need to shift that round so it's more aligned with the rest of Europe and the rest and, and Asia, which is work in the office unless you can't. <laughs> and, and actually, that's a that's a 
really, you know, obviously you need to go with the science, although that seems to have gone slightly by the board these days, um, and which science is a big question, but, you know, actually starting to think about the messaging that's coming out of government around um, using our city centres, um, because that's what's going to um, help all of those connected sectors and, and some of those that Colin talked about, arts and culture, hospitality industry, we, we need to have people in, the, in, the, in our cities um, seven days a week, not just Friday and Saturday evenings. Jess, you've moved me on to the next part of the conversation. Oh, I'm sorry. No, it's a, no, it's a great link. You, you've obviously learned some good lessons from the Beeb yesterday, uh, because I do want to talk about the revival of cities, and we've got the eminent city thinker in Professor Michael Parkinson with us this morning. And Michael, though based in Liverpool, has worked across the globe uh, in terms of city regeneration. It is something, Michael, that's been bothering me. I'm concerned about this lack of urgency of getting people back into work, back into offices. Uh, and, you know, as Jessica said, unless we can get our cities moving again, then I fail to understand how we can uh, genuinely see the economy pick up. So uh, you were advising Rishi Sunak and you've advised government ministers, plenty of them in the past. What would you be saying to him in terms of performance thus far, but perhaps as I say, more importantly, moving forward, what we should be doing to get our cities revived from the autumn onwards. Uh, thanks and good morning. Um, well, I'll tell them to get a plan. I'll tell them to get a story, and I'll tell them to get uh, to tell us what that is. Um, I've just done a big piece on them. I've just done a big, which bits are damaged and flourish and flourish. Some bits are really going to, and Colin's already told you, some bits are going to struggle, city centre, social distancing. Uh, this government really doesn't get place, we know that. Um, it doesn't get devolution, we know that. That's what various colleagues have said. They were kind of getting it four or five years ago, Cameron and O'Neill and Osborne um, and Heather and uh, Clark. I do think they've got to get back to, you know, quote, economic placemaker and, and think really what that means. Um, we've, today we've had a lot of stuff about you know, macroeconomic policy, very, we want more of course, but it's going the right direction. But what is it they want to do? What is it their view about the cities, how they're going to help the economy? Um, are we going to just go back to the same old, same old? Are we going to make a change in terms of making places more sustainable, more green? We do need to think about where our cities fit, which kinds of cities do what, which kinds of economies within our cities do what. In particular, you know, we know that this has been a rich, it's a poor person's crisis. Um, they paid the price, the low, uh, low income people, the carers, the key workers, they've lost out both economically and health terms. So I think there needs to be more of a social compact between government and the cities, more of a social compact between government and the losers in all of this, but also greater clarity on what is going to drive our economies in the future. And my snapshot of Liverpool said, the things which have done brilliantly the last decade, which is retail and resi and office and culture, um, they're very vulnerable. And we need a plan for all of that. Uh, they're the crown jewels, but highly vulnerable until we get a vaccine. I don't think we're going to get the level of certainty that people will, will return. I think we should try and make them return. But the local economy is about 20% of that. And the 80% is about knowledge and logistics, advanced manufacturing. So some sense of that. Uh, Long-term skills. So this is stress test of the system. And it's shown us where we weren't very good at things anyway. Social distancing is brand new, but a lot of this stuff is old wine in new bottles. So I think it needs government to lean back and say, if you're trying to get from here to there, I'm not just saying, well, Germany's better at it. It asks why and how. So I'd be looking for a kind of a view and a story about of how much cities matter. We also want some clarity, frankly, about scale, are we talking local authorities? Are we talking city regions? They're going to have to take decisions of 
where they're going to invest and which levers they're going to pull. So lots of questions there in my mind, and it effectively needs to decide what they want to do, what levers they think they have, and then what they're going to support. The level of money is important, but if we use a modest amount of money well, it would be very much better than using a bigger sum badly. So that's my take. It's slightly old-fashioned, but that's me. <laughs> Thanks, Michael. Uh, and somebody else who's uh, used to advise in cities working uh, to revive and regenerate places, uh, Simon Bedford from Deloitte. And uh, Simon, uh, I wanted really to see what sort of initiatives, ideas uh, you and your colleagues are thinking about at this moment in time, because I know uh, that you're embedded in a number of recovery plans. Uh, and the point that Michael made there, because again, I know you're a great student of what goes on elsewhere on the globe. Uh, why does Germany appear to be better at delivering some of this stuff? Uh, any thoughts? Not sure about Germany, but uh, there's certainly there's certainly some good practice around uh, opening cities. Up, Michael talks about cities and, and opening up strategies to Barcelona, Amsterdam, Copenhagen uh, have already worked out how to make their cities safe and i think one of the points we've got to sort of grapple with in the uk and recognize is that most of our city leadership teams are still very worried about public health so they're still worried about making sure that they don't get any local outbreaks that they can continue to manage a health crisis uh, and actually getting their attention to recovery in, in, in some of the some of the areas that we've just been discussing is actually quite difficult. Um, we will get there, but at the moment, I think we are tiptoeing our way through the summer, working out how we can get ourselves a safer city centre, particularly from which we can then springboard into getting people back to work. Uh, I think you're right, Frank, the getting people back to work piece is critical to cities. It's not as critical to towns, because actually quite a few people have actually moved back to work in towns, we think that footfall in town centres is over 50% already of what it was pre-COVID uh, in March. City centres 20 at best and city centres much bigger, uh, lots more people and obviously drive um, many, many different aspects of the economy. Um, so things to think about and I'm, I'm into practical solutions at the moment, localised practical solutions, Colin's point about, you know, doing things short term. So what are we doing about Free car parking, for example, not very, not very sustainable in the short term, but actually uh, from, from a retail perspective, perhaps uh, quite an attraction. Uh, most cities charge very high levels of car parking rates. Could we make it free for three months? That's a question. VAT reductions on hospitality, what are the hotels doing about uh, deals? Two for ones, three for twos, uh, different types of packages to enable people to get back into the hospitality sector. Uh, cycling. Um, where are the cycling um, racks, parks, uh, mobility hubs, incentivized ticketing schemes for uh, getting into different facilities? Um, lots of things we could be doing short term to give people a bit more of an incentive, but it has to be safe. At the moment, you are discouraged from getting onto public transport, actively discouraged uh, in the near term. So. Um, there's, 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 some, there's some tricky bits in there. I actually generally think that they've kicked the can down the road a bit with this statement yesterday. I think we're still waiting for a lot of housing market data. There is some suggestion that housing market is holding up quite well. Uh, and if the housing market does hold up reasonably well through the summer, that would be a good sign. So there's still, we're still short of a bit of data, but some practical localised solutions short term alongside some of these fiscal incentives I think will be useful. Thanks, Simon. Uh, now, conscious that we've we've not um, heard from uh, the county perspective yet, uh, and uh, although Henry is clearly going to have an interest in our core cities across the Northern Powerhouse, he's also uh, been working hard uh, on the what's been described as Northern Power Towns piece. And we've got Stephen Young with us, of course, from Lancashire County Council as well. So I'll come to you first, Stephen, if I may, and, and just ask um, what you made of the statement yesterday. But also, you've been working hard in the county on a recovery plan. What are the sort of issues that you'd be taking forward to government looking for, for their support for? 
um, first of all, with regard to the to the announcement yes, yesterday, um, headlines really positive. You know, thirty billion pounds. Um, obviously, he's looking to protect jobs, um, particularly young people, which is very positive. Um, obviously, looking to um, support housing, although perhaps he could have gone a little bit further there. Um, and positive movements around VAT and hospitality, which are really big things for for Lancashire County Council. So, you know, the headlines of those of those three things we we welcomed. Um, some of the detail uh, and some of the extent that the Chancellor's gone, we think. He could have gone a bit further and he could have done a bit more i think he's probably done enough um for now um given where we are and obviously can do a lot more in in the autumn statement in terms of the the lancashire recovery plan and the ask of government uh, we've been working with with Deloitte to develop that ask of government and there is a lot of overlap uh, between the things that we were asking for um and the announcement that the chancellor made yesterday so we are talking to the government around uh, a concept of orphan for business and how we can open our town centers and our tourism spots and do that in a, in a, in a safe way um i think we um hoped that yesterday um, the Chancellor would do more um, to support us in that but sadly not but maybe that's something for the autumn statement. Secondly is around Made in Lancashire. Um, I was really disappointed yesterday that there wasn't any mention of aerospace, uh, advanced manufacturing, those are massively important sectors for Lancashire. Uh, maybe that's a little surprise that we will get in the autumn when the the Chancellor steps up to, to help us in that particular way. And then the third the third sector is around um, uh, uh, strategic infrastructure investment. Now I know with the, the, the announcement that Boris Johnson made last week in terms of the New Deal there was some of that but again with all these things we think he could have gone he could have gone much further. Uh, we have quite a lot of shovel-ready schemes as do most um, of the regions across the north and we think that would have been a quick way for investment in the northern economy to happen but unfortunately um, at the moment although the, the figures you know, have been relatively generous on a national scale. When you boil that down to, to the regions, it's not really as good as perhaps it could have been. Thanks, Stephen. And Henry, um, as I say, you have an interest both in terms of core cities, but also our uh, towns as well across that northern powerhouse piece. And again, comments earlier about devolution uh, and whether the government has still got an appetite uh, for genuine devolution. Again, an issue I know that you are very concerned with involved in. Um, just your comments, Henry, on yesterday and the future. So I think my kind of start of a 10 would be that you have to see this crisis in the context of what came before it. So I absolutely agree the government under Theresa May was, was very uninterested in devolution. I think that getting a deal done in West Yorkshire does demonstrate this government has some interest. And I think the upcoming devolution white paper will give us a view on, on how credible my confidence in in them is. I would still agree that I think the points that were made earlier about how if you're going to deliver a skills revolution that genuinely gets people ready for the fourth industrial revolution, not just gets them back to any job, you need to have, have, have given places a much bigger control over what, what's being done. And I completely agree with Emma in the comments she made at the start of the call, and that's absolutely right. Um, I think the challenge is, isn't it, is that in the government's haste, in lots of areas they've tried to do things from the centre but in health particularly that's been proved too wrong and I think that that maybe brings around the debate again about health devolution that perhaps those local politicians who really didn't want to follow the Greater Manchester example and take on health devolution may now think again and we've we've called on them to do so that having been presented with the what is essentially a, a disaster in terms of how a nationalised top-down system has responded to this crisis that's got to be a wake-up call for us to do something different. And I think that as we're now talking about devolution for places like Cumbria, not just cities like Liverpool, City Region, or, or even places like Cheshire and Warrington that have a more uh, kind of traditional uh, economy, than because its economy isn't actually that different in some ways to that of, of GM or, or Liverpool City Region. I think that does change the debate somewhat. And you already have the North of Tyne deal that is urban and rural. So all of rural Northumberland has a, a metro mayor, which people kind of forget. But actually, it is already starting to happen that places that are not traditional cities with urban problems are beginning to get access to these tools. And I think certainly in the Lancashire example, there's, there's a very strong case that the work that's being done there is preparing the ground for a devolution deal. And certainly we think that's another another one that the government would be very interested in doing along with the, the North Bank of the Humber. These are all places that would really have industrial opportunities. The, the key question is the kind of how long does some of those high value industries, particularly in manufacturing materials, survive in order for you to, to develop a local industrial strategy to promote them. And, and I, I am wary that the kind of big ticket items I was hoping to see, like a small modular reactor programme, which is about creating jobs 
that will replace civil aerospace because we can't just buy planes off the shelf for no reason we're going to have to find ways to repurpose the supply chain in civil aviation because it's not going to stay on life support however long the furlough had been we offered civil aviation it would not have been long enough because the decline in that sector is so long but i think what i've seen in lancashire around uh the business community the public sector coming to round around a single plan in the county looks to me how andy burnham or steve rotherham or dan jarvis or ben houcham would respond does that make sense so i think that political maturity that alliance between business and civic leaders does exist in other parts of the north and i think that my only urge i think would be to those who have got some of those very significant sectoral challenges is that uh, i think there, there may have been a government out there that would have done sector specific bailouts right that would have just keep people's furlough money coming a bit longer to give them more breathing space that is as of yesterday certainly not going to happen so we're going to have to make much smarter asks that link place and new opportunities together rather than just look at the problems we have because i think the government might be prepared to commit to an smr program that generates six thousand jobs but they're not necessarily going to commit to something that's just about keeping civil aviation going does that make sense in isolation we're going to need to connect the problems with the opportunities and i think that's what smart industrial strategy looks like and it's certainly how alderley park was created and that story jessica was very humble in not mentioning it i mean that was a an economic disaster from our recent past in the north of england and that's now been at the heart of the response to covid19 and the testing operation and, and the lighthouse labs one of the great successes actually of the uk's response unlike many of the other things we got wrong so i think that learning the lessons of when we've had economic challenges before and thinking about assets we have and sectors that are in trouble as something that we need to capitalize on rather than something we need to just save and, and eke out for a bit longer i think is the right attitude and certainly we'll keep supporting and enabling those who have a plan for change rather than just an ask for a handout and i think that's a tough thing to say because often these are high value businesses that we've long relied on to keep our productivity higher than it would otherwise be and our economy turning but we need to take a different response and attitude now thanks henry thank you uh, and it's been mentioned by uh, the last couple of people that we didn't see big announcements around big major industries so nothing on car manufacturing nothing on aviation uh, you know we know the hospitality industry is suffering our airports are, are bleeding dry uh, at the moment despite the fact that they've got some flights back uh, and I wondered as well uh, whether there was anything in there for specifically exporters so Chrissy Wadlow from Western Union would have been keeping a keen eye to see whether there was going to be any help for, for that section of our business community. Chrissy, good to see you today. Uh, what did you make of his statement yesterday? What would Western Union like to see moving forward? Yeah, I mean, I think I've, I've been nodding my head at so many of the points that have been previously made on this call because I, I think there are so many different um, elements of this. I think it's important to bear in mind the economy shrunk 25% in the last two months, um, which is a huge figure. That's, that's, that's took 18 years to grow 25%. However, some economists are suggesting that by the end of the year, because it's an artificial um, recession, you know, everyone's in it. It's not that businesses are failing. It's that basically we stop people going out and spending money. So there is potential. There are some economists calling that by the end of the year that we might see um, the economy will have shrunk by 6% rather than 25%. Not good, but it's not, you know, not as horrific as the state that we're in at the moment. Um, but I think Henry was talking about manufacturing as well. And I, I think one of the things that we haven't touched on in this budget, and one of the things that um, we are going to need to look forward is around the manufacturing sector, which is underpinning the UK, underpins huge, huge areas of the UK. Um, and I hate to use the word, but um, we've, we've managed to avoid it so far. But we do have to bear in mind that Brexit is also happening in the background as well. So we've got to think about our manufacturers in the UK or all of our exporters and importers in the UK. And what does it look like going forward? You know, we are in the state that we're in now. I think that the, you know, the announcement yesterday has gone it has been brilliant at looking at you know stopping plugging the biggest holes you know plug plug those big gaps immediately but actually we've got to pay for that somehow so you know how are we going to pay for it? you know whether that's at local government making all of these local improvements 
we haven't spoken about, you know, the, the government haven't spoken about how we're going to pay that back. And we know that it's going to be our kids and our grandkids, but we actually have to bear in mind that we need to start thinking of that too, because that's important. And the way that we're going to be able to pay for that is by getting the economy going again. So looking at people like manufacturers, our export businesses, our service industries, and what can we do to help us look through the immediate into 20, the end of 2020 and 21 and beyond. I think that that's really important. Okay. Thanks, Chrissy. And uh, it's good to see Sir Howard joining the call. Hi, Howard. Uh, yeah, if, yeah, if you um, unmute yourself, mate, if you can. Yeah, yeah I'm unmuted. Okay. So you are getting on top of all of you now. <laughs> um, you'll, you'll be a little shaky this morning it's the city final victory over Newcastle I'm sure. um, you and Jim O'Neill put a very detailed paper together not so long ago Howard in terms of things that you would have liked to Rishi Sunak introduce some ideas there moving forward um, Again, what are the comments in terms of today? What today? But as I've said to previous, a bit more importantly, what you'd like to see is autumn budget. Yeah, um, first of all, apologies for being late, but I'm, uh, I was on another thing uh, from earlier this morning. Um, I certainly, you know, listening to Henry, some of the other uh, contributions, uh, they all seem absolutely uh, spot on to me. I think I would just make three or four points. I think the first point is if you, if you sort of engage um, sort of the um, you know national global economist community, um, I think there's been a, a little bit of a change in outlook over the last couple of weeks, which I think the Bank of England were reflecting last week that. Perhaps the, the, you know, this is not going to be a great news story over the coming months, but perhaps it's not going to be uh, nearly as bad as we thought it might be uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, uh, how true that is, I don't think anybody knows. So the first thing, therefore, which, which a treasury management function would ask itself, um, you know, have we got all the data, all the information available to us in order to organise all our firepower to the extent we need to? Uh, and I think the answer to that is no, we haven't. Uh, so uh, I think part of the analysis really uh, from the Chancellor and the Treasury is we're going to know a lot more in September uh, and October and therefore the big fiscal events that uh, some of us would like to see uh, characterise uh, a national strategy, I don't think are going to be properly articulated or informed by the economic situation until that time. So that's point number one. I think point number two is, um, therefore, uh, whatever we're doing now, um, how does it actually respond to the position we're in now, but more crucially, how does it help us start to create the pathways for, for that bolder future? Um, and I think the answer to that is not very much, really, uh, in the light of what was announced yesterday. Uh, you know, the Future Jobs Fund, uh, very predictable and right, broadly. Um, uh, some of the other boosts, to demand uh, around VAT, uh, understandable. Um, the thing for me, which leads on to my third point, which I worry about, uh, um, is that there has been a consistent theme in this government's response to this national crisis from day one, and that has been around uh, centralization. It's all very, very top down. Uh, and, you know, my heart sank over the weekend when I read a report that the key elements of the budget measures to be announced yesterday were actually worked up in a, in a room of senior treasury officials and DWP officials. Uh, well, that says it all, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, you know, the two most centralist culturally departments 
the, 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 the country's ever seen. So we've got to start making the case about how there isn't a one-size-fits-all approach to economic recovery and transformation. Uh, uh, the mix is different in different places. We need to have that, that broader strategic platform which enables individual geographers, economic uh, geographers, uh, working with their business leadership, working with their political structures to actually um, play the right tunes which actually fit the right priorities in different places and link to different sectors. And, and I didn't see in any of the announcements any encouragement that either the centralization theme is going to be challenged and more particularly the pathway between yesterday and what needs to happen uh, in October. And, and I think, therefore, for those of us who live in the north of England, uh, you know, people like Henry uh, and others have got uh, an even bigger challenge in marshalling uh, the business and economic and political uh, case, which actually starts to move this government away from this heavily centralised approach to a much more place-responsive approach which is going to underpin long-term transformation and economic recovery. Thanks Howard and it's one of the points that Evan Johnson made early in the conversation was this appearance that there is that appetite necessarily for devolution which has happened previously. Kevin, you've got a very high-profile Conservative mayor in the West Midlands, Andy Street, uh, and, and I just wondered whether you, know, you took notice, I'm sure you did, of his reaction yesterday uh, and whether or not you, there's, there's a sense in the West Midlands that with the Tory mayor, you perhaps have seen a little bit more in terms of resources coming into to the place or would that be something that's just a bit of northern, I would say, at the moment? I've never described you as bitter, Frank, uh, even as an Evertonian uh, towards this Liverpool supporter. Uh, but, um, well, I, I think there's a debate to be had. Uh, uh, I think from early on, even in his uh, original election campaign, he was making an argument, obviously, that because he would have uh, effectively access to number 10 and number 11, that would benefit the West Midlands. And there are some figures that back that up. Uh, but I think we've always been, I'll say this to an audience of predominantly northerners, uh, there's a case of us catching up, particularly with Greater Manchester and devolution and its own sort of organisation of its own affairs and where it's achieved through Sir Howard and other people's efforts, uh, achieve that sort of devolution settlement earlier than the West Midlands and obviously more powers, including, as Henry says, on, on health. Uh, you know, the, the, the money for brownfield investment um, regeneration last week in the New Deal is, is welcome, but we, we need to see much more bigger figures than that. Uh, coming in and, and maybe we've got to wait for the autumn for that. Uh, obviously we're probably I'm sure across this panel we're all delighted that HS2 uh, is carrying on and that seems to be yet again affirmed by the Prime Minister last week. But but I, I return to you know my original theme, the theme of many other, others including Howard there, uh, that the um, we're seeing a, a disregard of uh, the devolved administrations, uh, such as they are, and of local government, and we need to see them more centre stage in, in the recovery. Uh, and I think as we go, we'll get to autumn, we'll be in a slightly sharper part of the campaign leading up to the Metro Mayor elections next year. Uh, and I think it'd be, uh, I think it'd be clear to say that in the candidate we have for the West Midlands Mayor election next time in Liam Byrne, I think the, the debate will be greater about. Uh, where the West Midlands has stood so far during this crisis over the last three years uh, and where it needs to go in, in terms of the next four-year mayoral term. Thanks, Kevin. Now, we've not heard from uh, our representative in the capital uh, thus far, so Simon Danchuk has been talking to our businesses in London, our network there, uh, and I've asked Simon today if he could, given the audience, to, to calm his Cockney accent down. <laughs> um, so that we can all understand what he says. 
Um, so, so Simon, you and I were, were in communication yesterday and talking through these issues as it affects London, uh, which is often seen as the place which uh, catches less of a cold, if I can put it that way, uh, to the rest of the country. How have our London businesses reacted? What did you make uh, of uh, Sunak's statement? And uh, as I say, what do you think he should be looking to do in the autumn? Yeah, I think I think it's I think it's broadly been welcomed. I think some you you know I think uh, the furlough bonus I think will be welcomed. Uh, I think the eating out uh, meal deal will be welcomed. It's not difficult to find a, a meal in London for over twenty pounds, so you'll certainly get the full advantage of the bonus there. Uh, I think it's all very temporary. I think there's a concern about that. Uh, so it's it's tinkering around rather than substantial. And I think what's missing here, and it'll be interesting to see whether we see it in the run-up, uh, in the run-up to the autumn, is some big politics. Really, I think that uh, Boris is quite capable of being bold in terms of politics. That's what we saw uh, with Brexit. Whatever you might think of it, he delivered it. Something his predecessor couldn't do. So I think what we're missing in all of this, economically but also socially, is some big politics. Something around scale innovation, growth, all underpinned by a strong uh, social dimension. And we've not seen anything from uh, the Prime Minister uh, like that currently. The, the announcement about you know, Roosevelt's New Deal uh, last week, I thought, was less FDR and more DIY. Uh, I think it really needs to be bold. I think it needs to come out with some strong proposals that lead the country. So talking about infrastructure, you know, we mentioned AHS2 as an example. It's carrying on. It's not exactly inspiring, is it? We need to really ramp it up, AHS2, AHS3, make Heathrow happen, uh, really provide the country with some strong leadership and underpin that in the autumn. So it needs some strong politics from the Prime Minister. I think an in interesting question is, uh, because we've all been celebrating Rishi Sunak's uh, performance, do, is he capable of delivering some of the bigger politics? You know, he's been very good at tinkering around with the economy and, and you know, making the changes that he has. But does he have that vision? If uh, Boris were to fall under a bus, as it were, does he have that vision, uh, that vision to be able to deliver the big politics <laughs> the country now needs? Thanks, Simon. Uh, I, I wanted to, to pick up on a comment that Emma made earlier in terms of devil being in the detail uh, and the announcement that you made on skills. And again, this is an area where I think if they don't devolve and they don't really start to talk genuinely to uh, people across the country as to how that money is delivered, it could be uh, a waste of cash. It might not even get cash out of the door. Uh, and Emma, no, again, you know, the business leadership team have been working really hard around that agenda of apprentices uh, and how we support our young people and others uh, into work. What would you be saying to the government in terms of how it needs to begin to look at delivering uh, that resource in the future? So if you just stick on apprentices for a moment, if that's okay. Um, one of the difference, one of the many differences between us and, for example, Germany, and I know this is just a cliche now, is that we never stick with anything. We chop and change in terms of policy. If something's not 100% right, then a new government will reinvent something else. There are ways of, and we know this, making the apprenticeship levy work. <clears throat> Structures that are in place now, practical things that can be done. Uh, both of our combined authorities ha have joined with us and London First actually to say to Treasury, look, there's five things, just do these. The, the, these predate COVID, but have now been COVID proofed. You know, so allow um, uh, a far more straightforward block transfer of the apprenticeship levy uh, administered via the devolved administrations, all the laps, all the local authorities to actually get that into the supply chains. You know, you could do that now and actually it wouldn't cost anything either. Um, we've got to get signposting back. It's all very well saying, you know, we want to encourage SMEs to take on apprentices. That's a really complicated thing to do. Yeah. So there's got to be some much improved communication and networking that, again, can be best uh, done in place. And we need to stick with these things as well. Um, 
I also worry, I have to say, about our universities. We know that there are big funding gaps opening up there, and there is a political agenda, which is take the 50% um, uh, target away, all that really matters is STEM. And as important as that is, it's not all that really matters, actually, for young people who are looking to go to university now, uh, where there is an opportunity for them to be upskilling in that environment. And, and we need to make sure that um, all of this stuff is done properly. So there are practical things. They're not very sexy. It doesn't mean coming up with a new brand, but actually we can just get on and do. Uh, and those, that's what will make a difference in our cities and in our towns as well. But you cannot do that nationally. And the apprenticeship levy demonstrates that. Nothing wrong with the policy, nothing wrong with the vision. It's all in the implementation. Um, so that even prior to COVID, apprenticeships had fallen off a cliff. Um, we're really worried what there wasn't anything for yesterday that we do need to keep pushing on is for apprentices who are currently actually um, in jobs who have been furloughed, how do you get the, those young people back and make sure that that element of training is completed so we don't lose them too. Thanks Emma. And I wanted to go back to the question of getting our cities moving. Uh, Simon came up with a very interesting proposition of free parking uh, on a temporary basis at least. It's, uh, it might well be an incentive. It's certainly going to be more expensive to park in Manchester than it is to eat if you take advantage of the Chancellor's announcement yesterday, thanks to Bernstein and his mob over the years and uh, putting those charges up. Uh, but Jessica, this is something that will be, you know, seriously exercising your mind. Bruntwood, uh, you know, we've got some big spaces, commercial spaces to fill in our city centres, uh, not least the fabulous facilities that, that you guys operate. So what thoughts have you had around that, if any? I mean, clearly, medium term, what we want is a is public transport that works, green infrastructure, walking and cycling. You know, that's really, really important that we that we get there, and that's where we'll be campaigning. But we are thoughtful about what we do in this short term period, where um, what we know is that when people get into their offices, they feel pretty safe. You know, you can set up a socially distanced office at two metre distance, 30% capacity than you normally have. And, um, you know, we, we were working in our head office yesterday, really buzzy, vibrant feel. People were very excited to be there and be able to do business in a much more straightforward way. You know, um, we all love a good Zoom call, but maybe a bit less than, than in March. And there's a, you know, real sense that when you get into the office, that's great, but we need to have something that, um, helps people get into the office. You know, I'm not keen to get on a tram right now, sit wearing a mask to do that. Um, and you're seeing very, very low capacity on trams. So, you know, there are, I think there should be a conversation about what we do around parking. We've done it at other points for very temporary periods within the city. We've got relationships with the car parking providers within the city. And it's not just about um, shopping. Um, it is about what people are doing day to day to get into, into and out of um, our city, city centres. Um, and I think that that needs to be open up as a conversation and I'm not seeing it right now. Um, so, so we do need to have that. Okay. Uh, Colin, I'll come back to you because again, you know, you've been over the years very involved in city regeneration and we've been talking in Liverpool about new marketing campaigns to get people back into town. Uh, any further thoughts from what you've heard this morning in terms of what we might be able to do in Liverpool, for example? Well, you know, I've, I've said recently that I think Liverpool is a city fueled by culture and powered by knowledge, you know, and I think that's absolutely the case. We mustn't forget the importance of those sectors to Liverpool's economy as a city centre. Um, no one's mentioned international students, but um, I think that's going to be something that we could do with concentrating on. We need that devolution. We need that local effort that can make a big difference and we're going to really miss the international students. Jessica rightly said she's worried about universities, it's going to be a big impact on some, but think of the impact on the local economy and the loss of cultural diversity by not having all those international students in a city like Liverpool. 
Uh, I also think we need to get people back into the office, and that was mentioned, I think, also by Jessica earlier. Our city economies depend on people coming into the workspace, and we need to make our city centres attractive and safe as a destination for work as well as for leisure. So you mentioned, Martin, let's look at that. Let's get people back into the office. Zoom calls like this are great, Frank. You know, I love seeing everybody on Zoom. But after this, I'm going to drive to Liverpool Science Park. And it's brilliant being back in the Science Park and in the city centre. And we need people to get rid of that fear and see that, that there is, you only really get innovation and invention when people come together. And when they come together in person, albeit with some social distancing, and then lastly, I just want to make that other point again. We have construction schemes we can start in Liverpool now, but the market will be too nervous to start them. So if the government gets behind those construction schemes for new investment in science and technology and other key infrastructure, then we can create jobs right now. And come the autumn, we're going to be glad to have those jobs. Thanks, Colin. Right, now before, I'm conscious of time, so before... Uh, I come to, to Stephen for a comment about devolution and where Lancashire is at the moment on that thorny issue in that part of the world. Um, I just want you to all start to think before I come to you for a closing remark, the one thing that you would ask Sunak to do if you had his ear uh, in his autumn statement. So I'll just be coming to you all in a moment with that question. So get your thinking caps on if you haven't already got an idea to present to you. Uh, and Stephen, as I say, we've heard an awful lot this morning about devolution. I know the County Council have been key to get a combined authority up and running. It's been difficult and challenging at times, but it appears, fingers and toes and everything else crossed, um, that we're nearly there now. And it's going to be crucial if we do see a move from government to start to distribute those funds out to combined authorities in terms of ensuring that delivery of these things is effective. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, we, in Lancashire, we've been looking at um, you know the the devolution deals in Liverpool and Greater Manchester with with a lot of envy for a number of years, and we've been trying to move the conversation and move the um, different players in Lancashire towards that devolution deal. We, we, you said in your, your opening comments there that um, a deal is close, that it might be overselling it slightly. Um, we're certainly moving in the right direction now and everyone seems to be broadly on the same page. I mean, you know, you would have to be, um, you know, really quite foolish not to see the benefits of moving towards a devolution deal in terms of power, in terms of money. Um, I think the COVID-19, one of the positive things it has done is it's really brought that conversation into sharp focus. Um, we are hopeful that the white paper that comes out um, later in the year around reorganisation um, provides with it with it um, a number of carrots that we can really grab onto, but also a number of, of sticks, because I still think and I still believe there are some people within Lancashire that that would rather continue with the two-tier model for whatever reason. Um, and I think we need to have something within there that the government can push us um, towards that conversation. The work that we're doing on the Greater Lancashire Plan is incredibly helpful. Um, it brings together um, a, a really strong narrative that I think we can all get behind. Um, it provides us the context in which we can have a conversation with government. Um, so we do remain remain hopeful. And in fact, I had a, a conversation with one of the, the Lancashire leaders last night. Um, we were on the phone for a couple of hours talking about this. And, and he was really quite adamant that he wants to see this happen in the next 24, 36 months. Uh, and he is really pushing quite hard um, within his particular uh, uh, spheres of influence to try and see that happen. So I think, you know, if the people of Lancashire are to get a better deal um, going forward, I think that's got to be uh, something that we really have to work towards and get over the line. Thanks, Stephen. I will come back to you uh, for your comments in terms of what you'd like the, the Chancellor to do. And uh, I take the point you'd have to be foolish uh, not to be looking seriously at a devolution deal now if you were in Lancashire. Foolish or, or Blackburn Council. Um, but that's another story. Uh, I can say that, you can't. Right, I'm going to pick on Michael Parkinson first because he's been quiet for a while. Uh, the one piece of uh, advice, the one idea you'd like to see Rishi Sunak presenting his budget in October, Michael? Well, um, listening to the conversation, the bits aren't connected, they're broken, as it were. And I would like, I think places need to make an argument to government about why they will deliver to government. 
And I think we had not much connection in the cultural, the green, the tourism kind of economy. I would like us to talk about inclusive growth in a particular place. And I'd like to try and get some of those guys and girls from down there to come up to where we're doing things well and say, this is what works. This is what we're doing well. And in particular on the inclusive growth thing, we know what it means. This is what those who paid the price in this war are looking for. So I think we've really got to show government that these places will deliver to them. Otherwise, they won't give us the authority. And I think the job is a sense to show all the good things that we do and persuade them that our efforts will help them more. Because I agree with everyone else, at the moment, they don't believe it. Thanks, Michael. Uh, Christy, one thing that you would be uh, saying to our Chancellor? Yeah, I, I think we need to look forward and ensure that the UK is a great place to do international business. So we need to support our manufacturing and services industries to ensure that we're positioned on well on the global stage, including international students, which is worth $4 billion a year to us. So, yes. Okay, thank you. Short and sweet, but very uh, important part of the economy for sure. Uh, right, who hasn't spoke for a while? I'll go back to Kevin in Birmingham. Uh, what would you be saying to, to Rishi Sunak, Kevin? Uh, well, I just want to pick up on what, what Michael said earlier, that this has been a poor people's crisis, and, and that's true, and we can touch on the stamp duty measure yesterday to, to underline that. I'd say to him, as many others already have, don't waste the crisis. Uh, that's what we should do, and that's what we should pay our respects to the, to the thousand people who have died, to, to all the key workers who have kept us turning over. So I'd say three things. Look at solving the issues that flexible employment bring to us, the gig economy, all the freelancers, all the people who are not employed in a traditional fashion, who are still struggling and not being able to access any of the, the support. I'd say we sold in the short term as much as you can homelessness. Let's solve it for the long term. And finally, uh, it may not be the economic measure, but if this doesn't give us the impetus to sort out social care once and for all, rather than talking about it at a lectern in front of number 10 Downing Street, I don't know what will. Thanks, Kevin. Uh, Emma? All of that, but it's not just about money, long-term policy that's stuck with. So I would pick number one, a decent 30-year uh, energy strategy, because private money will follow that. Okay, thank you. Very interesting that the female participants are much briefer in their answers than the guys. Who would have thought it, eh? <laughs> uh, right, so with that in mind, I'll come to, to you, Jess. I, I'm sure you've got uh, some things that you'd love to be able to tell the Chancellor at the moment. Um, I'm going to be brief as well um, really get stuck into R&D investment and um, how that's seen beyond the Golden Triangle. Ah, okay, great point. Simon? Yeah, I think uh, provide a substantial financial settlement, a new substantial financial settlement to local authorities to create a renaissance in local government, to have strings attached will create a, a new renaissance in local government and it delivering uh, for the people. Thanks, Simon. Henry? I think it's a, a very similar to Simon's point, which is we need that local investment freedom. So our, our metro mayors could and should do more of that investment. And we saw 900 million of shovel-ready projects, but we're not going to see any more money till the autumn. But what we need to see is, is more freedoms for combined authorities and Howard and Jessica and others uh, in Greater Manchester have shown how this could be done. It could have a huge benefit up to five billion across the north, actually not, not requiring the Treasury to do anything. Thank you. Colin? Uh, widen and make more attractive the EIS scheme so that wealthy people put more money into startups and spin outs across wider, a wider range of sectors because that will get the economy going. Great point, actually, and I, I half expected something on that yesterday, to be fair. Uh, Howard? Yeah, uh, two things, really. Um, I do think that it's absolutely essential that we have a recovery platform for business, which is linked to 
recapitalization of businesses, however you view that, that, that is a must. That has to happen in the autumn at the very latest. And secondly, in agreeing with all the priorities colleagues have raised, you know, I think ultimately there needs to be a driving force behind this. And the driving force of the Chancellor should be think national, but look to execute locally. And final word from Stephen in Lancashire. Um, absolutely agree with everything everybody said. I think um, for me, it's got to be a, a really strong new deal for young people. They've been disproportionately hit by this the hardest. So I think a really strong range of measures that supports young people um, either transition into further or higher education or into um, skills and employment. Brilliant. Guys, it's been great listening to your thoughts this morning. Some really good stuff's come out of that conversation.